0: Good morning. It's great to have you here. Thanks for coming out today. I'm here to start out by announcing to you, you know, every year in the last few years, we've picked a word of the year. Our word last year, well, this year, 2018, is the word develop. And we felt like we're developing in our new building, developing our ministries, the youth ministries, the children's ministry, adult ministries. Development is what we need to key in on. Well, 2019, we're going to have a new word, and I'm going to announce it already, and you'll see why in a minute. Because the word for the year for 2019 is Jesus. Yeah, you can't beat that. And we're doing that because we felt like we need to focus on Jesus, make the main thing the main thing, which is Jesus. So we need to bring it out now because we're entering into Jesus' season, the Christmas season, we're going to announce, talk about the birth of Christ. So we thought we'd announce it now, but we're going to preach this series all the way up through Easter. So we're going to be focusing in on Jesus' life, his teaching, his ministries, what happened, his miracles, all these different things. It's going to be a fun time to study into this. Um, there's a lot more to learn. Sometimes I feel like, you know, you and I have a bank account with millions of dollars in it, but we never withdraw a penny like fools we live like paupers the Bible teaches very clearly there's so much more for us to learn and many of us live like we live almost in poverty because we don't delve into the riches God has for us to learn and so we're hoping to focus in on Jesus and help develop that through the next several months and help you pull out some of your investment and experience the riches in your own life I'd like to pray for that right now would you bow with me in prayer Lord, we come to you in the name of Jesus, and we recognize that it's true. Often we miss out on the riches that are in Christ, because we just don't know. We just don't know. But we have these words available to us so we can know. Even today, would you help the people in this room be able to pull out the investment, be able to tap into all the riches you have in your word, even as we study about some of the first things we need to learn about Jesus. I pray for wisdom. I pray for insight. I pray for understanding for each and every person. Thank you for what you're, you're doing and you're going to do through this body of believers. And we ask that you would teach us now in Jesus' name. Amen. I'd like to start today, before we even get in talking about the life of Jesus or how he was born, next week we're going to key in on Jesus' birth. But before that, you need to understand a concept that's revealed in the Scriptures that often is overlooked and not understood, but highly, highly important. You and I live in a time-controlled world, right? We always have. We've never been able to think outside time and space, even though the scriptures reveal to us there is another world, a spiritual dimension outside time and space. We live in this time-controlled world where there's daytime and nighttime. There's the you know, seasons of the year like wintertime and springtime and summertime and falltime. We, we, we learn also that there's all kinds of things that, that sleep time and meal time, and we could go on all day talking about work time and play time and peace time and war time. Yeah, we could go on and on. But you and I need to understand, God, the Scriptures teach, is outside time and space. And it's important to understand particularly about Jesus, because the Bible tells us this is where Jesus came from. If you have your Bibles, turn to me to the book of John, with this idea of time in mind, would you read with me John chapter 1? Just the first few verses, Now then we'll skip to verse 14. It reads like this. John tried to explain it like this to everybody. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And God was, and, and the Word was God. He, referring back to the Word, was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Skip to verse 14. reads like this. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Okay, with that same thought in mind about time and the Word and how it became flesh, talking about Jesus, turn with me to now Philippians chapter 2. The author to the Philippians, again, God's trying to introduce to us a concept about who Jesus is. let Just pick it up at verse 5 of chapter 2. 2-5 two starts like this. Have this mind among yourselves, which is also... Excuse me, have this mind yourselves, which is yours... In Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the fourth form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, talking about Jesus, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross." Bible scholars, theologians would tell you what these passages are teaching, and there's lots of questions I'm sure that leaves in your mind. But the basic thought is the pre-existence of Christ. Wow, funny term, isn't it? Pre-existence? How is that possible? Because we are locked in a world controlled by time. And it's telling us Jesus came from a place before time. This is an important thing for you and I to understand is we're going to study about Jesus' birth and him coming to earth. So before, you know, we celebrate Christmas Eve, and you need to understand, God determined through Jesus that everything that would be made would be made through who? Jesus. And everything was about Jesus. And, and God had him in mind before God even created time and made us in time and space. This is an important thing for you and me to get it's almost like there's a spiritual gap between spiritual reality and our reality. You know, here's eternity. Here's God in, in all of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in eternity. And he created time, the reality you and I live in. And there's this huge gap in between. And what the scriptures are trying to tell us over and over again is that Jesus is the one that bridges the gap between eternity and time. I know this is philosophical, it's, 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 it's a big brain bend to try and figure it out, and you'll never completely grasp it, because like I said, we've never thought outside time and space. We've always been locked in. But the scripture tells us this is important for us to understand, very, very important. I remember when this concept was first taught to me by a theology professor named Dr. Richardson when I was in college. And it was blowing my mind, because I'm like, whoa, wait a minute here. I'm like, what, 19, 20 years old, and I'm going, I grew up in church. I know all about Jesus. I mean, I thought I did. (laughs) I didn't realize how ignorant I really was. But this idea of the preexistence of Christ in my mind, I'm thinking, oh, so Father, Son, and Holy Spirit were sitting up in heaven and going, whoa, what a mess they got down there. This is ridiculous. And Jesus pipes up and goes, I'm going down. I'm going down there. I'm going to fix it. I mean, I I, I can't imagine that's really what was going on, but in my brain is Professor Richardson speaking. I'm going, wow, this is just bizarre. So God had Jesus in mind before he even created creation. All things were made through him and nothing was made that was made through him. We just read it in the book of John. This concept of the pre-existence of Christ was an important thing for me to begin to understand. And I want you to try and tap into this a little bit today, and you'll see why as we look at a passage of scripture. But I put it down, what's called the big idea of the sermon. Read it with me. It reads like this. God determines all time for all things and all peoples. In that class when I was learning this concept and I'm teaching it to you just from a couple passages of scripture, we're going to go one more passage. Just help me understand differently about who God is, who Jesus is, and who I am. And get a perspective like God has about life, about Him, about reality. Like I said, there's this huge gap between God and eternity and us and time. And the one that bridges the gap is understanding Jesus. This is why we're going to take several months to study about Jesus. This is why I'm introducing this concept to you now before we can get into it. And one passage that helps us understand this, maybe better than any other, is in the book of Galatians, where Paul's talking to a church, another church at Galatia. So here's like the third place in Scripture we find this teaching. It's Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 and 5. Point one in your outline, trying to explain this to you, reads like this. God determines a time for Jesus to come. And in John, excuse me, Galatians chapter 4, verse 4, it teaches us that. Follow along with me. Here's what it says. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of woman, born under the law. So God created time, and then there, he allowed time to be full, he to a fullness of time. There was a time when God exactly picked for Jesus to come. Now, of course, Bible scholars and theologians have talked about this for years. Some, some have even speculated, well, there were some particular things at that time that all kind of seemed to coincide. For example, the Roman government in Italy ruled the world at that time, which meant there was a great peace time, right? Because if they rule, there's not going to be much fighting because everybody's afraid of Rome. They run everything. So there's a peace time in the world. Good time for someone like Jesus to come if you're going to spread the word about Jesus and who he is as the Savior. You would need to have peace and not wars going on to be able to spread the word. Good point. Or the Greek culture and the Greek language at that time was preeminent all over the place. And that became a common language. So now people had a common language for marketing and talking. Yeah, it was a common trade language in Greek. Also, the Romans had created a road system they created road systems into different countries because they ruled them all that had never existed before. Again, spreading of the gospel. This is what the Apostle Paul used in the book of Acts when he spread the gospel. Some have even said maybe it was the Jewish teaching of monotheism. Monotheism means there's mono. There's only one God. Now, you could put all these factors together and say, seek the fullness of time. God brought it. Well, yeah, but it wasn't a bad thing. Look at the next thing it says. In, in Galatians 4.4, 4, read it again. It says... Um, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent. Notice that, the next two words. God sent. Man didn't send. It wasn't just the coordination of a perfect, God was just kind of waiting and waiting and waiting until everything came together. No. God determined this is the time. That's why I use that word determined in my outline. He determined this is the time. God picked it, not man. And God decided it was time for him to come to earth. He selected it for him. He didn't send someone else. He had sent prophets. He had sent Moses. He had sent all kinds of others. Now he was coming. It's as though during time, God's got a plan. And when you think of time and read the whole Bible, you begin to see, wow, from the very beginning to the very end, God's working this through in time and space, even though he's from outside time and space. And he's going to bring us someday into that place called eternity outside of time and space where he's at. This is important theologically or in your mental thinking of things to understand. It starts making sense now of the rest of Scripture when you can get this concept even a little bit in your cranium, you know. As we um, think through this concept and read a little further, look how it defines it the rest of the way in verse 4. It says this, that Jesus was sent forth and he was born of a woman. Why would God have him born as a woman? So that he could become a man. God, in the concept in which he exists, who created mankind in his holiness, his perfection, his righteousness, his justice, decided that the best thing to do to make things right that had been made wrong through sin entering into the world said, well, I'm going to have to become a man and when I become a human being then I can pay the price for the sin of the human being. That's what God determined. So you have to be born of a woman like the rest of us. Then look what he said next. Born of a woman and born what? Under the law. Under the law. Under the law. Wow. What a concept born under the law. The the idea here is that God, through Jesus, fulfilled the law. You see, God has a law. What that means is it's his um, character, his dimensions, his control, his thoughts, his feelings, The law that we have recorded, like in the Old Testament, is really just telling us more and more about who God is and how he thinks so vastly different than us. So Jesus had to be born of a woman and born under the law, in the constraints of the law, just like we are, so that he could fulfill the law. Jesus talked about this in what's called the greatest sermon ever preached. In, in recorded in Matthew uh, chapter 5, 6, and 7. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. Look what Jesus said about it. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. Some modern preachers nowadays talk like that's what Jesus did. He was abolishing the law. Oh, we don't have to keep the law anymore. No? It's not what he said. I've come to a, I, I, I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Look at the next verse. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota... Not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Jesus came to fulfill the law. You see, because he could live perfectly keeping God's law, in perfect union with God, he then was perfect and didn't have to die for his sins or pay the penalty for what he did wrong. He could do it for you. He could do it for me. That's the concept of the gospel. God decided, "I'll come to earth, live perfectly, according in con- total contr- uh, um, fellowship." Let's call it with God, so that mankind, who broke fellowship with God, could be united by me paying their price. What a concept! What what a reality! Like I said, that we don't often get just in our time-space thinking. This is significant for you and I to understand. Very, very significant. Um, I call it divine intervention. We needed somebody to intervene on our behalf because we just couldn't do it. We're going to read further on where he talks about redemption and adoption and all that, but I'm going to save that for point two. In the meantime, I want to try and apply the concepts we've already learned about God sending Jesus to be born of a woman born under the law and what significance this would have for you and me. And I was reminded of a book I read a couple years ago. It's called Hide or Seek by John Freeman. One of the best books I've ever read about what it really means to incorporate this thinking, digest this thinking, have it literally change your life. I don't know if you know what this book is about. The book's about sex. <laughs> it's about when men get, get real with God about sex. He deals with people who are sex addicts, people who have sexual dysfunctions, people who have problems in their lives with this, this area. He's an expert. He's in Philadelphia. We had him speak here. Oh, man, 25, 30 years ago, he spoke at our church. He's got an amazing story to tell about his own life and all the people he's helped. Well, like I said, this is one of the most practical tools. I didn't read it because I have, like, a sexual addiction or anything, but I help people that do. I read it to understand what's going on, and I was blown away by how powerful this book is in teaching us how to live the Christian life. It's very raw and real and truthful. Listen to what he says. In the years I've been working in this field, I've been blown away again and again when a new person comes into our ministry. Because God, to catch that, God is usually really behind it, pulling them, drawing them to himself. So I sit there listening to that that person, that guy pour out his heart and tell me his story, often for the very first time he ever told anybody. I'm humbled again and again by the fact that God cares for you and pursues rotten sinners like you and me. You know, it's never too late for God to do a work in your heart. You have to believe that. I do. It's the story of the gospel, Jesus coming to earth. And when that something new begins to happen, it will change not only you, but all your past perception of who Jesus is and what he wants to do in your life and what he wants to do through your life. We once had a guy attend one of our groups who had led a very secret life of bondage to sexual idols and addictions. One day, about six months after he started attending, I asked everybody to share what God was teaching them. Well, he piped up right away and he said, I'm learning that Jesus isn't just a self-improvement program. Like I thought of him for years. Just trying to make my life somehow better. He wants to do much more in my life than that. Just improve it. He wants to change me by changing me on the inside, my heart. Well, I was amazed and so thankful that I heard him say that. He was beginning to really understand who Jesus is and what he wants in us. And often that's so difficult for people I talk to because of all their shame and guilt. He's catching it there. You know, think about it. If you were God and you were up in heaven, you're outside time and space, you created the world, you put these humans in it, and they're really messed up. I mean, wouldn't you just be tempted to go... You know, I think we should just start over. (laughs) This is such a stinking mess. Right? Why wouldn't you be saying, those sinners, those, did you see the things they're doing down there? You would think God would just say, blow the whistle, it's over, game done, I'm starting over. I mean, that's kind of what the flood was about even. God was very close to doing that. Why would he say, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to come down there. I'm going to die on the cross. I'm going to pay a penalty for what they did and all their ugliness and all their sins. Those filthy sinners, Scripture even teaches that sinners hate God. Oh, we talk like there's a God, but we live in our lives like there is none. Like we give no honor, no respect, no glory, no recognition, no credit. You would think God would just go, I'm done. Forget it. You guys are losers. But he didn't. Why would he do this? Why would Jesus be born in a manger? Why would he become a man, born a woman, born under the law? Why go through all that? You must be worth it. You're worth it. To God we're worth it. Right? For God so loved the world, he gave his only son. That's what it tells us that his motive was love. God thinks we're worth it. Even though we're stuck in our sins, kind of pathetic sometimes, addicts like, like, like jo- John Freeman deals with, with. And he says, but so? God still loves you. God's redeemed you. He wants, to come, wants you to come to himself. And, and John says in that book I just read, I never get tired of seeing this. Guys begin to understand that God does think they're worth it. Do you realize that? No matter what you've done, he even says in that statement, I, I read in his book, he says, it's never too late. Never too late. There's still time for you to come to Christ. For you to be changed. And the change comes when we begin to grow in our understanding who Jesus really is. It's God saying you're worth it, coming to save you and rescue you. Powerful teaching, isn't it? Beautiful. Well, that's the first thing we learn. Look at the, um, the next verse and point two. God determines a time for you to come. Not only does he determine a time for Jesus to come, he determines a time for you to come. Look, because he just said, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, Two, verse 5, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. I want to stop right there. That's all we can handle today. To redeem. Redeem means to redeem from bondage. Because when it says here, to redeem those who are under the law, the Greek emphasis in that language used there means to, the, the law has, uh, the Bible tells us, all who are under the law are under the curse of the law. In other words, nobody does it. Nobody can. Jesus did, but none of us can. We're, we're failures in that sense the curse is upon us. We're in bondage to it. That concept that Jesus came to redeem us is extremely important from this bondage. And, and then it, the word redeem literally means to loosen the bonds, to set free. I was reading some stuff on this this week and uh, the, the guy was talking about a cattle farmer he had talked to. And he's saying to illustrate the idea of, of redemption from bondage. He says, I, I was talking to this cattle farmer. I don't know if you've ever been with cattle farmers who are out west. I've seen them out in, whether it be Montana or Wyoming or Colorado. Huge farms, thousands and thousands of acres They don't even have fences. There's just cattle roaming on, roaming on the side of the mountain." And then they go herd them up later on. But sometimes you lose some. And the, the guy was asking the cattle farmer, how does a cow get lost and split off from the rest of the herd? Because sometimes you have that. He says, well, it's really simple. It's the grass is always greener concept, you know. The cattle's sitting here eating some food, some some green grass. And he goes, oh, there's some over there. and He starts eating that. Oh, there's some more over there. Next thing you know, he eats his way into lostness. Isn't that what the scripture says in Isaiah? All we like sheep have gone astray and turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him, that's Jesus, the iniquity of us all. Actually, let's picture that we get redeemed from our lostness, that our own drives, our own lusts, our own desires, step at a time, lead us away from God and the rest, even the herd, till we're lost by our own appetites, just like a cow. This author, the same one I was reading, said, well, there's another story I thought of. He says, I used to have a snake, and this snake was in this cage, like this big aquarium kind of cage. And he says, every once in a while, you have to feed the snake, but snakes will not eat something that's dead, so you have to give them something alive. He says, so I'd go to the pet store and buy a mouse, and I'd take the mouse and drop it in the cage. He says, more than once, the mouse would drop in the cage, see the snake, and then try and cover him up with sawdust. So he covers the whole snake up with sawdust, thinking, this will be just fine now. He's gone. Have you ever heard of that verse in Proverbs? Verse in Proverbs says, There is a way that seems right to a mouse, but the end thereof is the way of death. There is a way that seems right to a man, but the end thereof is the way of death just like that pathetic little mouse we cover it up don't anybody know what you did just keep it quiet does no good at all death still lurks at the door the day of your death is already numbered and you're
1: lost
0: unless you have a redeemer That's what redemption means. Release from the bondage to your death. Jesus can die in your place. He sacrifices himself for your sins. He's the one that breaks the chains and releases you. That's what the scriptures teach here. It's a beautiful story, the gospel story. And here he's trying to give us the theology behind it. And he says, to redeem those who are under the law. Notice the next part. So that we might receive adoption as sons. Now, in a couple of weeks, I'm going to really drill down on this adoption idea. But today, I just want to start it a little bit. Because this is a really key thing. Listen to me close. Here's God. Outside time and space. The scriptures you're teaching here, scriptures te- taught in John chapter 1, where it says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was the So, here's God up in heaven. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He looks down here ooh, I'm going to make a world. And I know it's going to get bad. But my end game, my goal is to adopt them to me. Whoa. You mean God thought of adopting you and me way before he even made it? Yes. That's what the scripture teaches. It's his end game all along was to adopt us who are locked into this time-controlled world to be able to be with him in all eternity because we are his adopted children. Holy moly, what a cool concept. That's the teaching of the gospel. That's what the Bible reveals to us from God to us, saying, this is the reality. I always wanted to adopt you. Whoa, did not that make you feel good? Like, you did? Seriously, you wanted to adopt me? Yeah. God does. That's his end game. That's where he's been going all along in your life. He wants to adopt you. And that's what he's saying here. Jesus was born under the law, and he was born to to adopt us as his children. Very, very important concept. Again, in this book, Hide or Seek, John Freeman said this is an important concept. Look how he says about adoption. You've got to grasp this truth, he says. And what it really teaches here about this. It means everything. I don't know a sexual struggler alive, especially one who wrestles with his own sordid history of failures, who naturally believes any of this about adoption. To to dare to believe that in prayer, God actually delights to receive you and and, and to see you coming. Wow, what a concept. What a reality what scripture reveals. That's the opposite of our own gut feelings about how we should be treated. Again, the gospel is not about being treated as you your record deserves. It extends to us because of Christ, God's grace given to us. So people say that Christ's love is unconditional. But it's not so much unconditional as it is counterconditional. It's a love extended to us in spite of what we know to be true of us. The awful truth about who we are by nature and by our own history hasn't changed all that much. But God has changed his mind about us. Because of who Jesus is and what he did to redeem us and adopt us. Amazing. Somehow, he looks down and thinks, you know, you're worth it. I'm coming down. I'm going to do what you couldn't do. You're worth it. You know, in September, Lori and I went to South Africa, and we got to see the Fossa ministry. They're just outstanding and unbelievable. What a story of adoption and redemption. It's just a beautiful story. So today, I invited... Uh, Jody, Jody Adams, to come out. He's going to share with you a couple of stories because he's working there. He was one, an elder in our church. I lived here in South Jersey, sold everything, and moved to South Africa. And Jody and his wife Kathy are working there now. Let's just give some applause here, Jody. Good to have you here, man. So come on up. So I asked Jody today because. I'm telling you, there was story after story after story of kids that I met there. We're talking, you know, grade school kids, high school kids, college kids, and older even. They they work with all of them. It's a beautiful process of discipleship. Just amazing. But some of these kids, guys, they come out of such ruin, such heartache, such terrible circumstances and the redemption is so clear that jesus redeemed him and the adoption into the family of god is so powerful so joe just share with us a couple of stories like he did the last service about about this whole process of redemption and adoption
2: sure i'd love to Uh, there was a young man who became a part of our ministry Um, we first met him last year and as we were going into this one school in particular to do church services there every week We would see him quite often, and he seemed like a a nice, happy-go-lucky kid, you know, uh, all things considered for their environment. And um, we got to know him a little bit, and he had two friends that also came to the services with him. And those two young men both got saved. They both had received Jesus Christ as their Savior. But Alfred didn't. Not then. And so his two friends, Sam and Jeffrey, would continue over the course of the next several months to, to encourage him and to share with him the good news of Jesus Christ. And Alfred continued to come uh, to our church services and some of the other things that we did outside of that. But there was something that we didn't realize about Alfred that is you know, quite common for, for people is that he had uh, some things going on inside of him that we didn't know about. That despite his, outside of, his outward appearance, there were some things that were eating him up on the inside. He was slowly becoming an alcoholic. As a 16 or 17-year-old young man, he was already frequenting the taverns in this community where he lived. And, of course, the tavern owners had no problem with underage drinkers. Uh, They just wanted his money. And so it was not uncommon for him to skip school and to spend the day at the tavern getting drunk or even perhaps to spend a whole weekend intoxicated with others. Uh, And that was becoming his lifestyle. And he was in bondage to that, and he knew it and he wanted to be uh, released from that but he, he didn't know an alternative. Uh, along with that as many young people do they aspire to have an image that they project to people and it's no different even in South Africa in the middle of nowhere South Africa it is it is no different there that there are teens that want to do this and so this young man wanted to take on this identity as a rapper he liked to rap and there's Actually, a recording studio there where they could go, a crude studio. And so, along with this whole kind of image of him becoming a rapper, comes everything that he thought goes along with it Uh, a lifestyle of being crude and, and very lewd behavior. And this was what identified him. But he knew that this was very destructive for him. And he came to know Jesus Christ as his Savior. There was a day where he humbled his heart and he received Jesus as his Savior to forgive him of his sins. And Alfred started to change almost immediately. He had a hunger for God's Word. And so it was not uncommon for him, when any of us were engaged in a spiritual conversation with even one of the other kids, that Alfred would slide right into that conversation because he wanted to take it all in. He was so hungry for the Word of God. Or if he had a question about something that he had read in God's Word, or just something that, some spiritual thing that he had heard before that he wanted to know about, he would not hesitate to ask. In fact, he still texts Kathy all the time, even while we're here. He's just an amazing young man of someone who was bought out of sin. Mm. But not just that. God brought him to himself. And so Alfred's desire now is not to live for the things of this world, but he wants to know and he wants to find out from God's word, how do I live for the Lord now? Because that's what I want to invest in. Real redemption there. Real redemption. Amen. Amen. We also met a young lady last year. Her name was Liseho, and that translates to Lucky. So we called her Lucky. And we got to know Lucky one day. She came to Kathy after one of our services, and she was very angry. She was visibly um, bothered. You could see that about her when she came to talk to Kathy. And we found out in this Kathy's conversation with her that there was this this anger was something that she wanted to be released from. She felt that this just consumed her. And she was in fact in bondage to this. And in this anger and this rage that was pent up in her, it was it wasn't uncommon for her to project this onto others. And what we later found out about Lucky was that she was part of a satanic cult. And in fact, Lucky was being groomed from the time that she was a young girl. She was being groomed to become a princess in this cult. And so one of the things that she was challenged to do, if she was going to continue to rise up in in, in levels in this cult, would be to murder her own mother. Wow. Lucky couldn't come, she couldn't bring herself to do this. But there was this battle that was going on inside of her about what things that she would be involved with. And so there was... Because of her, the influence that was immediately around her on a regular basis, because of the things she wrestled with, there was this, this anger and this pent-up rage. But Lucky, when in, upon hearing the good news of Jesus, she re- also received Jesus Christ as her Savior. And the transformation in Lucky's life couldn't have been more dramatic. She was lucky. <laughs> <laughs> she would carry a Bible with her wherever she went, Kathy and I would go to the school, and it didn't matter if it was during school or after school. Lucky had a Bible literally clenched in her arm. She read it all the time because she knew that that's how God was changing her, was through his word. She was redeemed. And she's now like in a new family, the family of God. She's now part of the family of God. And she was left that old family. And as part of the family of God, she wanted the things of God to consume her. And she knew that by being in God's word, that would happen. In fact, she challenged other Christian kids. If you call yourself a Christian, where's your Bible? Why don't you have your Bible with you at school with you? Why aren't you reading God's word? Yeah. And it was just an amazing picture of redemption for her to know that she was bought out of Satanism. She was bought out of the bondage of sin for God to receive her unto himself. That's a beautiful story. Beautiful story. Praise God. Yeah. Amen. Amen. I told,
0: I told uh, Joe before he came out, I said, tell us a couple of stories because he could go on all day. And I said, but if you got time, you could throw in a third one. Okay, let's have, we have time. Go ahead.
2: Oh. Uh. Amen. Uh, We also um, are friends with a young lady lady named Mosa. And we met Mosa a couple years ago. And she's just this tiny little thing. She's barely five feet tall. And she has the quietest, softest little voice. She seems like the sweetest little thing. And um, we came to find out about Mosa that a lot like Alfred, she had these things going on in her life that, you know, that we wouldn't know about just by talking to her. And we found out that Mosa was also a very, very angry uh, young lady. And she, as much as anyone that we've ever met, she felt the weight of her sin. She felt the weight of the separation that the sin in her life, life causes from God. She believed that there was a God. But she also knew that because of her sin, she was separated from God. Mm. And the thing that was tragic about Mosa was that she thought there was no way she could ever be forgiven. And that discontentedness brought so much turbulence into her life, so much anger and, and just um, the, the way that fleshed itself out. In fact, we found out later that Mosa at times slept with a knife under her bed because she contemplated murdering her own mother. And she just thought there's one night she's going to get up and she's going to go through with it. Uh, but Mosa never did carry, it, carry that out. Mosa came to Kathy one day as we were involved in a ministry, and, and she wanted to talk a little bit about, his, as she had heard Jesus presented about salvation through Jesus. She wanted to hear more about that. And as Kathy was able to share with her from John, that Jesus came into this world not to condemn but to save. Amen. And Mosa placed her faith in Jesus Christ as her Savior. And today, she knows that she's forgiven because of one thing. And that's because Jesus Christ died for her sins. There was no other way she was going to be forgiven. And so she has been bought out of that bondage that she knew that she was separated from the God who made her and who loved her. And so we just praise God that Mosa, mm-hmm. for two years now, has been growing in Christ. Amen. God bless. Thanks for coming, Joe. Thanks,
0: oh, Awesome to have you. We'll keep praying for you. Okay, what are you supposed to do? What are we supposed to do? I think of two verses in the Bible that tell us two things that we need to do with time. The first one is in the book of 2 Corinthians. Let's put it on the screen. 2 Corinthians 2 says this. For he says, In a favorable time, I listened to you. And in a day of salvation, I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. I don't know if you've ever been saved, like he's talking about here, Jody was talking about. Do you know for sure you're a Christian? Have you put your faith and trust in Christ? The Bible tells us, you want to talk about time? Now. Now's the time, right now. Don't delay. Don't wait. You can know for sure you have eternal life. You can know for sure that Jesus is your Savior. All you need to do is pray the sinner's prayer, ask Jesus in your heart. I'll help you in just a few minutes if you want to do that. Second thing the Bible says about time is in the book of Ephesians, chapter 5, verses fifteen and 16. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. He's talking to Christians. Making the best use of your time because the days are evil. He's saying you still live in a corrupt, sinful, evil world. But you have a certain amount of time left before God takes you home to eternity. Invest your time wisely. Use your time rightly. Don't waste it. Don't talk like you're a Christian, but not live like it with your priorities. And what I'd like to do right now is pray with you about those two things. The worship team's going to come out. They want you to think about this. I want you to think about this. The song they're going to sing, we don't even want you to sing. Just use as a time of processing what God's been talking to you about. I know God speaks to human hearts, and he's been speaking to yours, I hope, today. Let him speak some more. Let me pray this prayer with you. Bow your heads. Let's pray. Lord, we come before you after hearing Jody's testimony, after hearing your word, that you came out of eternity, locked yourself into time. When the fullness of time had come, you you were sent by God himself to save us, to redeem us, to adopt us. If you're here and you're getting this concept, like some of the people I talked to in front of the stage here at the end of the last service, maybe you're one of those people too. You need to know for sure you're saved. Just pray a prayer like this, Lord Jesus. I admit I'm a sinner and I'm asking you to save me. You've come to adopt me. I'm saying, okay, I'm yours. Come into my life. Make me the kind of person you want me to be. Please forgive me of my sins. I I recognize that, that I've been that way. But I know there's nothing too shameful. Listen to me. Nothing too shameful. A man came up in the last service talking about shameful things he had done. He even had to go to prison for it. And now God redeemed him. He's redeeming you too. Through faith in Christ. Or maybe... God's putting pressure on you about your time, the time you have left, the way you invested. When God's adopted you into his family, but we sometimes don't live like it. We live like we're pretty much our own, not his. Cry out to God today. Lord, I want to cry out for those people right here, feeling that in their heart, saying, Lord, show me what I need to change. I need change here. I need revival. I need renewal. Bring that to me this Christmas season. As I focus in on Jesus, help me see what you're calling me to invest my time in. So, Lord, we come before you today. Help us as as we listen to this song now to just be at peace, trusting in you, rethinking our life, and turning our hearts and minds to you in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: Store. Found no place at the keeper's door. It was for this a child was born. To save a world so cold and hollow. A sleeping town did not know. and lying in a manger low. A sick Is there room in your heart? Is there room in your heart? Is there room in your heart for God to write his story? Deep at night, do not fear the glory light. You are precious in this sight, and God has come to raise the lowly. Is there room in your heart? Is there room in your heart? And for God to write His story. And you can come as you are, but it may set you apart when you make room in your heart and train with dreams for His glory. A mother holds the promised tight. filling with-
0: very pretty song is there room in your heart I'd like you to stand with me and let me pray over you as you leave today Lord we've been trying to meditate and think about the concepts we've learned today things so far beyond our comprehension that there's no way if it hadn't been revealed in your word that we could ever think it up no human being could and yet it's so true and then when we see it demonstrated in people's lives like Jody tells stories of and many people even in this room have seen it Father I pray for those who have accepted Christ as their Savior today to be able to confirm it and even tell others about it I pray dear God for those who have made decisions today to not waste time but to invest their time the time you've given us by your grace on this earth to raise up the next generation of leaders. So, Lord, we come before you, thanking you for letting us be here today and learn what we need to learn, to be able to withdraw a little bit from the account of truth that we have so richly been given by Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Have a great week. See you next week.